I was in a very in a very happy place because I was doing what I loved and um, and since then we've just been doing a lot of different things and keeping up with um, the requirements of the people who want to come in and um, right now we're kind of adapting to the the new normal and uh, and the COVID situation and hence our product is kind of changing rapidly. Today on Dirty Linen we are talking to one of the new heroes of the Melbourne food scene, Hayley Raichura. Hayley has a restaurant that is impossible to get into, Enter Via Laundry. It's in her house, it only seats a handful of people and it only operates one day a week. Of course at the moment no restaurants are oper operating any days a week, but hopefully that'll soon change. As we're talking about the future, I thought it would be fantastic to talk to a woman who is making her way in the food scene, but on quite a different path. Hayley's been thinking about whether she should open a restaurant, what the pitfalls would be, what the positives would be. And I think as everybody in the food industry right now is renegotiating their relationship with just about everything, it's a perfect time to have a chat. So Hayley, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Now I'm going to ask, I'm going to start by asking you to describe your most famous dish. You did it on MasterChef. It's the one that everybody talks about and it's called Pasta Not Pasta. Can you tell us about Pasta Not Pasta so we get a little bit of a sense of what it is that you do? Sure. I love that dish and um, it actually is called Kanvi um, from where I come from. And it is has it has been my personal favorite since I was very young. It basically is a snack made out of um, uh, basin and water and a bit of yogurt, and it's highly technical. You cook the batter and then you quickly spread it. And here at Entavar Laundry, we serve it um, with a bit of a twist, I guess. Um, we serve it with coconut sauce and we use some native basil and bush tomato oil to go on it. It has um, been our signature dish from, and one of the most popular dishes that we've served. So a lot of people come in um, just to have that. Not that everything else is not that great, but people love to have um, <laughs> um, people. People are really um, fond of that dish, I guess. Um, so yeah, um, very close to my heart and very, very regional Gujarati dish. So yeah, Gujarati, it's a uh, state in India, the Northwest. Um, and I was lucky enough to have one of your regional Gujarati menus recently. So as we know, Enter Via Laundry isn't able to operate as uh, normally at the moment, but you are doing some meals for delivery and you popped up at a restaurant near to me and did a, a, a month of Indian regional dishes. And I had a couple of them and I just found it so exciting. I think uh, we... we in Australia, we have so much to learn about Indian food. And I would, I think I wouldn't be wrong in saying that anybody in India, there's always more to learn about Indian food because it is so regional and so specific, isn't it? It is highly regional. So what we cook in our households is not at all, is not even, not even slightest similar to what is cooked in the kitchens in south of India to the east of India to the north of India. So... Uh, the habits are different. The um, the produce is very different. The um, obviously there are a lot of curries and there are a lot of uh, some very typical ways of eating food, which is curries with rice or with um, with breads. But the way they are cooked and the um, ingredients and the spice composition that is used is is super different. And um, 
I think um, I love doing what I'm doing right now because every time we sit down and decide a region, we extensively research that region and learn so much about um, the food that um, um, the country that I've actually was born and brought up in, but I didn't have any idea of this other other different cuisines that existed at the time. Um, but slowly now, um, as we research and we are making regional more of our core, um, I love that we could learn so much and, and straight away release it as soon as we learn about it. Yeah, that's really fun. I think um, even Bisan, like you mentioned Bisan, which is chickpea flour, um, it just even the different things that are done with that in Indian regional food is so fascinating. So when I, when I was in Mumbai last year, I I always choose a focus dish when I travel, like something to get obsessed with. So, um, yeah, I recently spoke to somebody in Bali that my Balinese obsession was I am batutu, like a, a steamed chicken dish in a, with a spice paste. And my obsess, my obsession dish when I went to Mumbai, there was about 20 of them, but the main one was curry, which I can't say properly, but um, it's the it's that sauce made with um, bisan, yogurt and tempered spices. So it sounds actually a really similar mixture to your pasta, not pasta, but just a different thickness and then it, you can turn it into a completely different dish. Yes, you got that right. It's it's ex- almost similar and has similar flavour profiles as well, for Gujaratis at least, um, but the proportions are absolutely different. Um, um and it just turns out to be a completely new dish. And um, curry in itself has so many variations. There is a Sindhi curry. There is curry that's made differently in um, Maharashtra. Curry is made very differently in South of India. Um, so there is a yogurt and um, basin preparation that kind of runs around the country, but has its own adaptation as soon as it goes or enters into a different state. So I can say that, yeah. I think that's one of the things I love so much about Indian food is how adaptive it is and, you know, to the, to the, obviously to the ingredients and to the seasons and yeah, it's just so flexible and uh, so creative. Yeah. I just absolutely love it. Um, So Hayley, you do not come to food through a traditional path. Can you tell us um, how you come to be running your micro restaurant? So this has always been a hobby of mine, um, the Entebar Laundry, uh, as we know it. Um, I usually call it um, a place where we all come together and eat. Um, I try and not call it a restaurant, given it has nothing that a restaurant has um, in good and bad ways. Um, <laughs> um, so it doesn't have a commercial kitchen. It doesn't have... Um, all the all, all the things that comes along with it so it's always been a hobby um i've always loved to cook but um but i've um i have been um working as a hr advisor for a majority of my lifetime um because that's what i i studied and that's what um i have been pursuing since i got out of the university but i think given i had this very strong um, obsession with cooking and very strong relationship with cooking. I just felt normal and natural and happy when I was in the kitchen. Um, and then I started cooking a lot of things, but, um, and, um, I, I love the process of creative cooking, but then 
after cooking all a lot of these things, who was going to eat it? So, <laughs> so then I thought, well, I'll invite friends and family um, and showcase the things that I've learned along the way from some of the really good chefs and, and, and little uh, stints of experiences that I've done at different restaurants and then um, so that I can keep cooking very selfishly and um, and my friends and family could be guinea pigs who would come in and just taste all the food. Um, but I guess um, it evolved very organically and we got published in a few major medias and um, since then it kind of, uh, it, it became more open to a lot more people um, other than just friends and family. Um, and then I guess um, I kept I kept learning more. I kept, um, uh, it was very, uh, I was very happy that, um, I was very, very in, a, in a very happy place because I was doing what I loved. And, um, and since then we've just been doing a lot of different things and keeping up with, um, the requirements of the people who want to come in. And, um, right now we're kind of adapting to the, to the new normal and, uh, and the COVID situation and hence our product is kind of changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. So how many people do you have on your wait list for coming to enter their laundry? Uh, around 26 to 30,000. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and how many people can you take at any one time? Um, if I was to stick to what I was doing before, um, 10 at a time. So or maybe on a weekend, maybe 20. Right. So I feel like I need to do one of those formula, which is like, um, how many carrots would it take to get to the moon and back if you lined them all up in a row or something? It just sounds like there's one of those improbable formulas. I'm I'm never going to get to eat there. Uh, well, that's, I mean, it's just such an interesting position to be in. Um, Hayley, I want you to tell me the story of your first meal at a fine dining restaurant. Sure. So this was um, around four years back and this was um, at Lume. Um, when Sean Quay was heading um, the kitchen and um, my husband took me there for my birthday dinner and uh, we had this lavish 15 course dinner um, degustation and it is old theatre um, given Sean Quay was known for it and it was sublime it was creative it was delicious and it was um, so much theatre it was it was something I had never experienced before um, and this was first fine dining um, experience ever, ever in my life. So, um, so I wasn't comparing it to anything. So it was very pure and I was there eating delicious food, dish after dish for at least five, four hours. And I think I was blown away from it. I was in, um, I was in a very, very, um, desirable happy space um and something that I could get addicted to very easily (laughs) (laughs) um I want to just explain to anyone who wasn't lucky enough to go to um Loom four years ago what it was like so chef Sean Quaid who is now over in the U.S. creating a massive stir with his vegan cheese um brand along with his wife veronica who is an absolute legend they're both incredible and such go-getters lume at the time was um as you say so theatrical it's like uh, ingredients were turned into 
other things. You know, I guess one of his early cheese experiments was making, um, turning cauliflower into a vegan cheese and it was, it, it fooled everybody. So it was, in the, the service style was so theatrical as well. It was really like you were being taken on an adventure. Um, everything was unusual and surprising and beautiful and I'm really actually jealous of you that that's your first fine dining experience because it's just it would almost be like entering another dimension like you're like oh my goodness can the world be like this as well (laughs) especially the cauliflower cheese was just it's just amazing and and uh, to add to it I didn't know where I was going so until I got in I didn't know where I was going I was like what is this place Vishal and um and it all happened, so you could imagine how exciting that would have been. I didn't sleep for a day or two, I think, after that. <laughs> I was so excited. And you spoke to Sean, didn't you? I did. So um, at the end of the meal, given I was so excited by it, I was like, oh, my God. And I, um, at the time, I was doing a little um, home project where I was baking and um, kind of um, selling those little cakes and cupcakes and those things. And I said, well, this is this is amazing. I am right now on mat leave, Sean, but imagine I didn't have to go back to HR day job. And instead, if I could, you know, work in this kitchen because they had an open kitchen where they plated in front of you and the, the, those plates came in, came out to the, to them, to the table. So I, I was, we were seeing all that, all the action happening in the kitchen. I was like, Imagine I could do this for a living instead of doing my hair charge off, which is pretty good, but why would you know? And he was like he was very kind enough to say, Well, why don't you why don't you come in and um have that experience? And we are looking for a pastry chef and I said, Well, n- not really any anywhere close to a pastry chef. Um, but I would love to come in and just experience the kitchen and um it was very generous of him and I think that that him actually asking or saying that, why don't you come and have a look, I think changed a lot of things for me. A lot of things started and initiated from that. I think that's the starting point. I don't know. I struggle to put a point on starting point. Was it Vishal taking me to that dinner or was it uh, Sean saying, well, you can come in here and that started this whole process, but it started somewhere. And I think Sean had a, um, Sean is a, one of the very big part um, for of 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 me actually going and pursuing this as a as a project. Mm. So you did go and spend a day there, didn't you? And it was um, a long day. And as you mentioned, you were on maternity leave at the time. So tell tell us some of the thoughts that were going through your mind during and after that long day. Mm. So. At the time, um, my son was a year and a half old and um, this was on a weekday. So I had to, you know, organize my husband to stay home while to look after the, my kids so that I could go and go to go to the restaurant so that I can have my experience. And it was a long day. It was um, 10 to 12 hours, which is which is usual. For, for chefs to have that kind of a um, kind of a routine, especially for a fine diner, and um, and um, the breaks are not like the breaks that you get in a in a desk job. The type of work was obviously extremely different than what I was used to, which was sitting in an office and on a desk and kind of replying to emails or taking phone calls or having those meetings. It's hands on. Um, you cannot really talk, take a phone call to talk to your son while you're 
kind of using a mandolin. And <laughs> yeah. So, so very <laughs> dramatically different to what I was used to. And um, obviously long hours. And by the time I came back from work, my son was fast asleep, um, had missed him all day. And he just got up obviously the next day. So I had missed him a day and a half. And um, obviously we shall have to take a day off just to look after him. Obviously we could send him to daycare. But at the time we were not. So that was kind of a full-on day uh, for someone who was coming from a different industry. It was pretty full-on for me at the, at that time. Um, so did you think that as much as you loved cooking and your mind had really been blown by what you saw at the restaurant that perhaps restaurant life wasn't something that you were instantly drawn to? Absolutely. So putting my practical hat on, um, given I'm a mum first and then I am a HR advisor or, or then I'm a person who loves to cook, I guess um, it was it, it was the choice that I had to make and, and the creative side of this thing was amazing. The adrenaline was great and the hard work was addictive. If you work in a hardworking kitchen for a long time, you get addicted to that energy. You get addicted to that amount of work um, and then it becomes your new normal. Um, and that's well and good for your personal self, but that may not be well and good for the whole family. Um and um, especially when, if you if your partner is not in the same industry, what that means is that um, your weekends are different. Um, so when do you have your family time? Um, when are you actually interacting with the family or being part of the day-to-day -day routine? Obviously, dinner time is out of question, given dinner time is, is the busiest time that you're going to be in the restaurant. So these were some questions that were running through my head Um Obviously, I wasn't getting a job there or anything, but I was, um, given I was very fresh, but if I wanted to consider that as a option for me to enter in or to start learning, it practically just wasn't something that I could have pursued or still would pursue, yeah. Those thoughts didn't stop you asking another high-profile chef for a stint in the kitchen can you tell me about what took you to Bangkok so yeah there's this practical side of me who just takes really practical decisions <laughs> <laughs> but then there is this other side of me who's really rebellious who's always wanting to be in the kitchen and just drags herself to the kitchen um but I think what I prioritized was learning um, and I thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to apply this, but I want to learn. I want to see how this thing, uh, how, how this big kitchens work and what makes them so special. So um, there was 50 best talks that was being held um, in Melbourne and there were some really big chefs um that were on the panel and um, the audience were asking questions to them and they were just um, kind of imparting their wisdom about the restaurant. And um, um, at the time I um, luckily was able to ask Gagan if Gagan Anand, um, who, who heads um, Gagan in Bangkok and he it was, no, was Asia's number one for a very long time. Um, and I asked him if I could, um, I could um, actually um, be an intern or I could come to his restaurant and work for him um, just so that I could learn. And um, I thought he would definitely say no, given I had zero experience. And um, 
that I had a HR advisor job for an IT company and I was like, how does that even match? Like, what are you even asking for? Um, it took him some time to decode why the hell I wanted to do and what was I asking. But eventually he said, yes, you can come and learn what you want to learn. I don't know where you're going with it because you are a mom. You have a job already, which is pretty decent. I don't understand why you want to change industries. But if you want to learn, why not? And so off I headed to Bangkok for two and a half months. Wow. Hayley, it's so interesting that you say, you know, I was a mum, so that had to be my priority. I think one of the things that I've really noticed during the pandemic is as a lot of people haven't been at work as much as they were, a lot of people, they might be mums, but they're often dads, have spent more time with their kids and they've really enjoyed it. They've really valued that family time that just simply isn't possible when you are working those long kitchen hours. I just think it's it's a problem for the industry, not just for, for mothers, but also for fathers, don't you think? It absolutely is. Imagine my son not being able to see his dad for weekends over weekends and missing um, events that usually happen on the weekends, family gatherings or birthdays or taking kids to their friends' birthday parties and or a lot of other things or just just dad being really tired because he had um, a long 12, 13-hour shift. And a lot of my friends who are chefs go through um, similar experience and their kids and their families go through a similar experience and hence I've heard them saying, don't get into this industry. <laughs> don't, if you've got a HR job, stick to it. Don't get into this. Um, if you want to raise, um, you know, if you want to be close with your kids, don't. Um, it's it's very hard because you as an end user, if I put myself into the other side of the spectrum where I am a con- I'm, a, I'm a customer and I'm a guest and I want to go out for a dinner, I would want to go f- for dinner on a Friday night um possibly at around six so that I can come back on time and put my kids to bed and have a great time. Um, But the fact about that is also that someone in the kitchen would have to miss seeing their kids because they're cooking cooking a meal for you to enjoy. Um, And so it's a very, very tricky, but I guess it's a very traditional um setup that is just so engraved now in heads of people who are end users and i think the people who are uh, offering the service as well that this is the format and this is how things happen if you're celebrating if you're uh, celebrating or if you're going out for a meal it's probably is a friday or if you are if you have opened a restaurant your busiest day it probably is going to be a friday and a saturday so that clash is something I guess has been a norm for ages and now it's just so engraved that it's that it's it, it's so engraved and it's just not flexible enough I think. Mm. Well you know this is if ever there's a time to shake things up and to rewrite the rules it's now and I know that people must ask you a million times a month if you're going to open a restaurant so that uh, those 26,000 people can at least go sometime in the next 20 years. Um, what would have to happen for, to the restaurant industry for you to consider opening a more traditional restaurant? 
I think there are a few things. If I was going to work for a restaurant, um, there is a different sets of rules that would apply, and there are different sets of rules that would apply if I were to open a restaurant. I always think I put my when I put my HR head on, and I think well for chefs who are females, uh, female chefs who who are always asked to make the hard choice of uh, well you have to choose one thing or the other. I feel that there is a lot that could be done. For example, um, if I was full-term pregnant, which I was when I was running into our laundry, which was last year, there came a time when, where I just couldn't. I, I just couldn't um, stand for the number of hours that I would usually stand um, and, um, and be just myself um, even. Um, I felt this is a choice for me and this is a hobby for me. I could shut this restaurant tomorrow and say, I'm just not feeling well. And so I'm not running a session on next weekend. But if I had that as a job, it would be very hard. Um, it would probably be seen as something I'm trying to get away with or, um, or it wouldn't be taken positively. Um, the, the fixed, um, rules about someone going on mat leave is two years mat leave plus uh, whatever the employer pays you and plus 18 weeks of leave from the government needs a bit of a shake up people who are in women especially who are in business where businesses and jobs who where they are asked to um where there's a physical element to it where um you are you, your presence is important. You're gonna stand up for twelve hours a day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The sets of set of rules need to be different because physically they're not capable. It's very hard and challenging for women to stand up and working for at seven months or eight months. At least for me, it was. Um, why don't we consider um, extending that leave, extending that eighteen weeks to maybe maybe twenty five or thirty? I don't know how much. So that. Um, chefs out there um, who are making a difference could have a bit of a breather and feel don't feel the pressure of choosing one or the other or having a family or or having a job um, and on the other side of the spectrum if you were a business owner um, your presence is very important for um, f while you're running a business so you're probably giving up your weekends away for for running this um this monster of a business and and it doesn't end there so weekdays you're busy obviously and um weeknights you're busy obviously because you're um you're staffing you're accounting you're doing your it you're doing your marketing brand procurement supplies health planning and com heavy compliances maintaining your instagram you're kind of um trying to make sure you're you know better off the you're kind of doing everything to beat the competition and it gets to a point when it's not everything about the cooking and that um the whole idea of i am in the restaurant industry because i love to cook um kind of almost dilutes a little bit and it kind of dilutes more as you get busier and busier so I don't know, but it it does need a shake up. It definitely needs a bit of a shake up. Um, I, I think if if there was more flexibility around a lot of things that are stock standard now, that would be great. Um, the fixed costs 
is one of the things which is the toughest. I mean, if I were to open a restaurant and commit to a sixty, seventy thousand dollar worth of rent per year, and um, Melbourne being one of the worst <laughs> places to rent or have a property, um, it, it's going to be hard because I will be paying rent for the days I will not be operating. Um, so, so I guess. Practically speaking, one of the things that could be worked on is those fixed costs. Um, if they could be shared or they could be somehow um, some creative ways of kind of dealing with those fixed costs, um, that would be great. You would have to imagine that out of the unfortunate closure of a number of businesses and, you know, very changed makeup of the CBD that there will be, and neighbourhoods as well, that there will be some flexibility on rents. Like surely rents are going to come down. It's, um, And I think that this idea of, yeah, shared costs, perhaps you it's one restaurant for a few days a week and another restaurant, another, or whether it's month by month, whatever it is. And it, you did mention compliance as well, which is one of the onerous burdens that restaurant owners often talk about. How's compliance been for you running a business from home? Have you, has the council been receptive? Has that been, have there been a lot of hoops to jump through in that regard? Um, it is a very mixed and confusing um, area. So it has, um, every council is different. So one council will have different sets of rules to the other council. And it has always been, um, it has been okay. It, it was okay while it was a hobby, but not okay if it was a business. Um, and so it's um, the whole planning piece and everything is very tough to pass through. And it takes months and months on to kind of get to a point where you can run something. Another idea and a project that we were thinking of um, after the whole uh, MasterChef and after my current mat leave, um, that came to a halt because of the requirement for planning to go through an application and that would take around three to six months for them to just approve a place even if I wanted to run it for a day or two. And... That is just something. Oh, really? Yes. So that was just something that um, just didn't make sense um, for us to kind of even dwell into that because the requirements are are pretty strict, and um, so we had to just give up that idea. Um, but health is not an issue. Health, you have to you have to do what you have to do, and that is there for a reason. And I I appreciate that, but. Um, there are other other kind of little things which I understand they're in place for a reason, um, but maybe maybe down the line, you know, a bit of review of that would be fantastic to see how that could help someone, um, some little businesses to to thrive. Not every small business that is out there is out there to serve um, copious amounts of alcohol to to then make, um, to, to cause nuisance and noise to the neighborhood. There are places where, um, like us, where it's very decent. It's, it's just like having 10 people over for dinner and then leaving, and it's only on the weekend. So I guess, yeah, a bit of review would be great. 
Yeah, so a bit of discretion and flexibility would be much appreciated. And hopefully that is one of the things. I mean, with liquor licensing, we've definitely seen flexibility through the pandemic with um, some of the rules uh, being eased and and application processes made simpler. So it would be great if that was something that, um, I guess, with appropriate guidelines was able to be extended to support small businesses such as yourself. And I think we really will see people doing small, nimble, creative uh, food businesses, perhaps, you know, modelled on yours. I'm sure you're such an inspiration to people who are looking at those uh, burdensome fixed costs and, uh, yeah, just um, thinking maybe there is a different way to do this. So are you... um, do you know what you're going to do next or are you just um, living from region to region planning the next menu and seeing what happens? Currently we are exploring just region to region and uh, um, absolutely loving that. It was a long time coming. I, I did plan something um, similar that I wanted to do with um, as a pop-up, though now we're not doing it as a pop-up, but we instead deliver. So uh, we are thoroughly enjoying that process. Though as um, into what comes next, uh, we can, um, given uh, a three-month-old in the house, uh, we probably are not going looking at um, reopening again uh, from home. Um, I think it's come to a point where we cannot. It's not a hobby anymore. I don't think councils are going to be happy me running a hobby, which is that intense. Um, or... Um, and hence, we are kind of in a position where where we have to come up with a creative way um, of how to keep going because um, there are a lot of dead ends when you look at um, food businesses. Um, a premises becomes almost compulsory um, if you wanted to run something which was branded and um, uh, a physical presence was very important for customers to relate or go to. or and um, and so, and so we have to rethink. We are we are back at the drawing board, um, and we are kind of just focusing on the things that our customers and their previous guests have loved, and try and come up with something that it that we can retain those things that um, um, Evia loves and all our guests and community loves, and um, and keep and keep kind of uh, delivering that experience. Um, but restaurant is is not one of that because. Um, because of a lot of things, because of a lot of reasons, it's. I don't think restaurant is is the thing that we are kind of inclining to. Interesting. Is there an ingredient or a dish that you're working on at the moment that is just exciting you to a crazy extent? Uh, what am I working on that is exciting me a crazy extent? To be honest, I'm very obsessed with wattle flowers right now because they're everywhere ah and as soon as I get in the car I can see some outside my window yes and they've got this thing they just keep looking at you and they say like screaming at me saying make something out of bottle so so I'm thinking that I want to make this there's this concept of making gulkand in India which is we ferment the rose petals um and then we use that as a mouth freshener or in desserts and things like that so my head is and rose petal itself does not taste like anything but has a beautiful fragrance and wattle flowers are similar they 
don't taste much, but um, they're beautiful. They've got beautiful fragrance. So I'm thinking that I'm kind of used the glue gun recipe and try that on with wattle. And I'm quite obsessed with this wattle flowers right now. Well, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow, don't you? I'm going to grab a wattle and give it a good sniff and then chew on it and see what it really does taste like because now you've got me thinking about it as well. <laughs> oh, Hayley, I've, I've loved chatting to you. It's, um, yes, yeah, it's so interesting the path that you're on. I don't know where it's going to lead, but I know it's going to be interesting. And uh, I hope that I get to experience whatever it is that you do next before too long. Thank you so much for having a chat to us today. Thank you so much for listening. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.